As we near the close of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews faces us with a group of Jews who heard that Jesus Christ was a promised Messiah and responded to this good news. But then their faith in Jesus began to cost them. Dave Wurtson addresses the question they were wrestling with. Should they go back into Judaism or risk losing their jobs or even their own lives for such a minor part of life as which password you use to gain access into God's presence? I got an email the other day. I'm sure you've gotten some of these. And it was from the American Express Company. They said, hey, you can manage your account easily online, and we can keep track of everything for you, and you can make sure that the whole year is all lined up for you, and just follow these easy steps. So I beeped on it. You know, I hit enter and twice, and I got into the American Express. It said, now all you need to do is sign in, and you need to do this, and you just follow this simple, easy procedure. So I Follow that procedure, one, two, three. I did enter again. And they said, no, uh, you, you, you need to change. You know, your password isn't exact, exactly right. It needs to have so many letters and so many numbers. So I got all that right. And 25 minutes later, I was still getting access denied. How many of you have had that experience? Okay. We've all had that experience. Access denied. It's one of the most frustrating things in the world. And what, what blows my mind is, is that throughout our lives, all of us know that you need to have the right password. I needed to get some money for my daughter's wedding. And uh, Mary has lots of money. So I, I, I got into one of her accounts. And I called way back to the East Coast. And I said, I need to get so much money. And they said, well, is your wife there? I said, no, she isn't here. And they said, well, access denied. In the world of finance, in the world of computers, we know you got to have the right person. You have to have the right password. What blows my mind as a pastor, though, is that I'm often in situations where we're dealing with eternity. And someone's gotten sick. Uh, there's been an accident. We need to be absolutely sure. For example, when I do a funeral service, the basic tenor is as you interact with people, one of the things that blows my mind is that everybody has the idea that access accepted. It can be dealing with a motorcycle club, and they have their easy access. You can be dealing with someone that's from Buddhism, or I haven't done too many of those, but in Islam, you got all these different ways. But the basic idea, wouldn't you agree, is that Access accepted. When it comes to God, any old way will do. You agree with me? That's, you don't agree with me, but would you agree that that's pretty much what the idea is throughout our culture? That when it comes to heaven, access accepted. And what blows my mind is that we know that that doesn't work with computers. We know that it doesn't work with banking accounts. But when it comes to the most important access of our souls to be absolutely sure that we have access to heaven. The basic idea is any old password will do. Well, the book of Hebrews says that's not true. So as we move towards the close of history, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. It's right near the end of the Old Testament. As we come through here, the book of Hebrews is a book that's written by an anonymous author. I know for sure that the Holy Spirit wrote this book. I'm not sure who the human author is. In fact, Origen, one of the great church fathers, says only God knows who wrote 
the book of Hebrews. For many years in church history, for example, in the King James Bible, you'll read it's the Pauline epistle according to Hebrews because in some of the earliest manuscripts, Hebrews, very early in church history, began to be placed, I think it's between Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They sandwiched Hebrews in there. The problem with that is that when you read the book of Hebrews is that the ideas line up with the Apostle Paul, but the language in which the, the Greek language that Hebrews uses is totally different from any Paul that I've ever read. Very, very different. The writer of Hebrews is very classically trained. He writes beautiful Greek, almost poetically. He uses a, a lot of symbolism that Paul doesn't use, and it's just a very different feel. And the people that have been studying the scripture for centuries knew that that was true. Most of the idea was that Paul probably didn't write it, but one of the things I want you to know for sure is that from very early in the second century, believers like yourself accepted this book as being breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And the book of Hebrews is a great book to face us with the fact that the inspiration of Scripture is not rooted in a human being. It's not because Peter wrote something or because Paul wrote something that we accept the book as inspired by God, but we accept it as inspired by God is that the Holy Spirit breathed through this book, and because he was breathing through this book, it was accepted by the church. And as you study the history of Hebrews being accepted as part of your New Testament, there becomes a growing groundswell that this book has to be accepted even though we're not sure exactly who wrote it. So it de-emphasizes the human author. In fact, some people have even argued that Mary, the mother of Jesus, wrote the book. So you have suggestions from Paul to Apollos to Luke and to Mary. Some people even said Priscilla. Uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila wrote the book. And so when we get to heaven, you can ask the Lord Jesus after you uh, give him a hug. You'll be able to do that. You can say, Lord Jesus, I've been dying to know who wrote the book of Hebrews. One thing I do know about this book is that they're probably from a Jewish background. They're writing to a group of Jewish believers because the big challenge in this book and it's a challenge that some of the young people in our, our church could face in the coming years, is should you keep hanging on to Jesus? Should you keep believing that Jesus is your access into heaven? The big issue that's raised in the book of Hebrews is there's some Jewish believers, and they're from a Greek background as well. They were raised with the Greek translation of the Old Testament. I know that because of the way that the writer of Hebrews argues with them from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They're very well informed about the rituals of the Old Testament. For example, they know the Psalms really well. They know about the Day of Atonement. And so they're from that kind of a background. But the big temptation that they're facing is why shouldn't we just go back into Judaism? In other words, why do we have to stay committed to this new little group that at this stage, probably in the early 60s, probably about 62, 63, it's before probably Paul was martyred, probably before Peter was martyred, definitely before the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. 
Judaism accepted throughout the Roman Empire. It's before the war of the Jews with the Romans when all this changed. But during the early 60s, if you were Jewish, you were in with the Romans. And so the big temptation for the reader of this book is, can't we just go back and become Jews again? Why don't we just go back to our ancestral faith? Why don't we go back and and offer the sacrifices? Why don't we keep the Day of Atonement? And why don't we keep the Passover? Why don't we keep the food laws? Why don't we be religious again like that and become Jews? You say, Dave, how is that going to influence our lives? Because as you grow older in your families, one of the things that I want you to know that, that we're committed to this morning is the radical exclusivity of Jesus as the only access to heaven. And it goes totally against our culture. In other words, what I want you to know, if you don't learn anything from me, is what I'm telling you as a pastor teacher is that when all the chips are down and you get ready to go into eternity, that the password that I gave you is the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the password I gave you? And there's no one else. And I'm going to tell you why. The book of Hebrews is saying that that's the password, that's the access. In fact, it will say you have easy access. In fact, the access has begun right now. If you have Jesus Christ living in your life, then right now, any one of you can call Heavenly Father, and you've got instant access. Anywhere, anytime. Bilber shares a net. We all need to be in prayer for a net. I suddenly get a call Friday eating at Whataburger. The ambulance is at it, Bill Brashears, and Annette has collapsed, and she had a stroke. Bill, his wife is unconscious. She's on the floor. I'm in crisis situation, heavenly daddy. When I arrived there, the first thing Bill said to me is, let's pray. I opened the door of the ambulance, and Annette, she was conscious. She said, let's pray. Why can you do that? Why is that important? Because I want every one of you to know, if you have Jesus in your heart, as soon as you say, Heavenly Daddy, you got instant access. Your Heavenly Father is all ears. And the book of Hebrews answers the question, how do I know that Jesus is the access to heaven? Look at Hebrews chapter 1. It begins very much like Dr. Luke began his gospel because both Luke and Hebrew are written in very good Greek. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Let's look at the introduction. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. These would be Jewish forefathers through the prophets. Who would some of the Jewish prophets be that God spoke through? Call them out. Moses, good. That's the big one. Who else is a Jewish prophet God spoke through? Isaiah, good. You got them all. Okay, Jeremiah, Hosea, good. So you're thinking with us. He spoke to our fathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Moses, they spoke in many different ways. Everything from Moses actually had God write out the Ten Commandments with his own hand. God actually wrote the Ten Commandments and chiseled them out for him. So there was direct writing from God. Jeremiah, God breathed through him, and Jeremiah dictated to Baruch, his scribe. So that was another way 
Ezekiel. God breathed through him, and he would lie on his side for months on end, and he would build little what I call ancient Fort Apaches like I used to play with. And so God spoke in many different creative ways. And Daniel, God spoke to Daniel through visions that came to him at night. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, in the past, God spoke to us through all these Hebrew prophets, and he spoke in a lot of different ways. Now look what he says. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews considers that when Jesus came and he died and he was crucified and he rose again from the dead, that began the last days. And in these last days, so when anyone, anyone asks you, are we living in the last days, what's your response? Yes. We've been living in the last days on the edge of eternity for the last 2,000 years. In these last days, he has spoken. God has spoken to us by his son. Everybody tell me, who has God spoken to us now? By his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. When Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration let Peter, James, and John see his essence and they let him see his majesty, it almost knocked them down because of the radiant, glorious majesty of Jesus. He is the visible glory of God, the radiating majesty of God. He's also fully equal to God in his being through whom he made the universe. So Jesus is the creator of the universe. The sun's the radiating presence of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's being, God the Father's being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sin, and what the writer does in this introduction is he tells you what this whole book of Hebrews is going to be about. After Jesus made purification for sins, when did Jesus do that? On the good. He made purification for sin. He sat down. You sit down when what? Husbands, when you finished all the honeydews, you sit down because you are, that'll never happen. But if you do get to sit down, it means you're done. And a lot of you sit down before you're done, and that's why your wife is angry with you because you didn't complete the task, okay? It says, after he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, and that's another holy, transcendent name for God, of the majesty in the heaven. So he became much superior, and now we have one of his first arguments that he introduced in the book of Hebrews. So Jesus became much superior to angels as the name that he inherited is better than theirs. The very first argument now that's going to be present over the next several chapters is the angels are not your easy access to heaven, only the Son of God is. Now, what's, what's he talking about in the book of Hebrews? We've been learning that the whole story of the Bible is the man has been separated from God because of their sin. God's going to provide a great deliverer. And we learned from Genesis 3.15, he's got to be a son of a woman. We learned from the promises to Abraham. He's got to be from Abraham. Then he's got to be from Judah. Then he's got to be from David. We've gone over and over this. Jesus is the great deliverer. Now the writer of Hebrews is going to tell you that as you go through and come to the great 
union at the end of the New Testament, and God is bringing all the rivers together, that we can bring portions of Scripture from a lot of different Old Testament books. So when you're studying the book of Hebrews on your own, you're going to have Psalms, you're going to have Jeremiah the prophet, you're going to have Moses from Leviticus. The writer of Hebrews is going to bring all these great streams together, and it's all going to culminate in Jesus. In these last days, the easy access to the Father, once and for all, Jesus has sat down, and he's the way that we conquer the curse of sin, and we have access back into the Garden of Eden, back into the rest of God that Hebrews will talk about. Now, that's all in the introduction. Now, what he does to the rest of the book is his argument goes like this. Number one, angels won't get you there. Number two, Moses won't get you there. Number three, Aaron or the Jewish priesthood won't get you there. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 11, join all these men and women of faith who trusted in Jesus and you hang on to Jesus and he'll get you there. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, therefore, you need to keep joining together with other believers that believe like that. This is one of the books that you need to have a passion for because it's a book that highlights one of the most important messages of our day is Jesus is the only access to heaven. Now, let's talk about the angels a little bit. You notice that he begins, like in verse 5, he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? That's a quote from Psalm 2. And then the writer of Hebrews strings together a whole bunch of Old Testament passages. For example, if you look at one of the key ones is um, Psalm 45. If you look at verse 8, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Your throne, O God, the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as God. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door the next day, you invite them in, and when they tell you that the Bible never says that Jesus is God, you open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, and you go through Hebrews chapter 1. What you're basically trying to show your Jehovah's Witness friend, I use that as an example, because there are one of those that are telling you that you need to trust in angels. In Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is not God. He's an angel. In Mormonism, Jesus is not God. He's an angel. So is Satan. So those are two modern manifestations of people, millions of people, that believe that the way that you get to heaven is through an angel. Let me go back into the first century context so we can look at it the way the writer of Hebrews and his audience would have received it. In first century Judaism, if I asked a first century Jew, how do I get to heaven? One of the answers would be is that Michael, the archangel, is one of the ways that we get into heaven because he's a great cherubim. He's one of the four that surround the throne of God. One of those great archangels in Ezekiel's vision of the wheels. And Michael is a great defender of his people. And so Michael's one of the accesses that we have to the great ultimate transcendent God. If I would have gone to Qumran, 
they would have told me the same thing. They would have started to give me Raphael and all the other different names, seven names for the different angels. And you would have, in your religious experience, you would have prayed and depended upon these different angelic beings. It was a very common thing in first century Judaism. Their angelology was very highly developed. And the basic idea is that you need these great supernatural beings to help you to get into the ultimate being. The writer of Hebrews is saying, no, Jesus is not an angel. He is the son of God. And his argument goes like this. Do you want to depend upon a servant in the house? Or do you want to depend upon the son who is the inheritor of the house? You tell me who you want to depend upon. You got to depend upon the son. And so his first argument is don't depend upon an angel, but depend upon Jesus. In our popular culture, we've just come through a period where there is a resurgence of real interest in angels. For example, when I was in college, angels were out. Science was in, angels were out. And the supernatural was out, and it was kind of coming in the back door. But for our young people today, there is a great openness to these great supernatural beings. For example, just to go to a totally different setting in life, like in Buddhism. Buddhism will basically get you in touch with the masters. Hinduism will get you in touch with the masters. And if you, for example, if you go into the Himalayas and you meet with a great guru, I promise you, you probably will see extraordinary events take place, paranormal things. You might see tables float, and you might have someone that can tell you secret things in your life that nobody else could know. And you'll be enamored because the wise ones will help you to have access into the great transcendent. I want you to know that because you've sat here this morning, I warned you that that could happen, but it's going to be not a doorway into heaven, but a doorway into hell. Because you don't need a great wise one. You need the wise son of God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And from the depths of my being, I want the one that's equal with God, the messenger that God did send, the final one. I also want you to see that the writer of Hebrews is arguing that this is the last one. So if, as, as Islam grows in our world, as you talk to Islamic people, it's not like we're saying, well, I think you worship Jesus and you worship Muhammad and we're all, here's Jesus, the great prophet. Here's Muhammad, the great prophet. What's at stake? And in many places in the world, I would be killed for saying this. But Muhammad is not even an angel. He's just a prophet. And what the book of Hebrews is telling me is I need more than a prophet I need more than an angel. I need the very Son of God. And that's why I follow Jesus. That's why I worship him. That's why I've given my whole life to helping you to get to know him because of his identity. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. If you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1, after he concludes this whole series 
of Old Testament quotes where if we were studying through the book of Hebrews, I would explain every one of those to you. We're just kind of giving a survey this morning that can whet your appetite to study it. But it says, therefore, we must pay more careful attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. For if the message spoken by angels, the Old Testament law, was given to angels, and it was given to Moses through the mediatorship of angels, and it was biting, it was binding upon the people that heard it. And it says if they disobeyed it, they received a just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord, but was confirmed to us by those who heard it. And the writer is now saying, I'm not an eyewitness, but I talked to eyewitnesses, and it was testified to me when I heard about Jesus dying on the cross. I heard about him rising from the dead. These early eyewitnesses, apostles, did signs and wonders that I could respond to and that I could see evidence. And what the writer is saying is, You don't need an angel to give you access to heaven because you have the Son of God. The second argument that he mounts, he he developed a little bit further. The second argument I want you to see in a big overview of the book is don't depend upon Moses. if, if If you look at the religions of the world, there are three big ones that are monotheistic. And they are Christianity... Judaism, and Islam. Biblical Israelite worship is united with the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews is showing you that. So when you think about the religions of the world, what I want you to understand is that the writer of Hebrews is saying is that one of his basic arguments is God has been speaking. The eternal God of the universe does breathe through the prophets in the Old Testament. So that's legitimate revelation. So that's part of where you receive accurate knowledge about God. What he's saying in the book of Hebrews is that that message culminates in the Son of God. It culminates in the Messiah, Jesus. In Islam, they're saying that 600 years after Jesus, that another prophet came. That's too late because the Son of God has already come. And that's very important to understand. Now, he's also saying what he's wrestling with is a lot of his readership want to go back and follow Moses. In fact, even in our own church, it hasn't happened a lot, but as I ministered here in Midlothian, some of our young people have grown up in our church, and they went out into the university. Some of them wandered away from the faith, and then they got exposed to Judaism. And they were enamored by Judaism. They read like Herman Wooks, this is my God. And they, they loved the grandeur and the fact that you could, on Friday night, millions of people all around the world say in Hebrew exactly the same ceremony. And they loved the, the tradition of that. Uh, there's a great movement in our culture right now. Like if you've been raised as an evangelical... One of the things that you're hungry for is I would like some authority. In other words, I want to have priests that will tell me what to do. It's scary to be out here and have to read the Bible on my own. I would like a little bit of robes. I would like some incense. Now, a lot of you that came out of that background, you say, no, 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 that didn't help me. But those of you that have been raised in a church like ours where there's hardly any symbol, 
There's hardly any, you know, uh, religious thing that you can hang, hang on to. You know, this is the gymnasium. One of the things that you get hungry for is you feel a sense of transcendence in a religious building that has religious culture and tradition. There's nothing wrong with that as an art form. There's something very wrong with it if you depend upon it for your eternal life. And if you say, I'm going to go back and believe in the laws of Moses, and I'm going to adopt Judaism again, and that's what the whole next section of the book of Hebrews is about. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. After he gets through saying angels are not enough, he says this. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, and that would be you. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you have received the call of God in Jesus Christ. I want you to fix your thoughts on Jesus. In the New Year's, I want you to fix your thoughts on Jesus. He is the foundational sent one from God. That's what apostle means. He's the foundational representative, the sent one from God. He is the high priest. Now, he's going to develop that in the last part of his book. Jesus is the only priest that you'll ever need. He says, whom we confess. Now look at this in verse 2. Jesus, he was faithful. Now get this. Jesus was faithful just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So what I want you to understand about our relationship, we love Moses. We believe Moses' revelation. The real Moses that God breathed through in Scripture points us to Jesus, not to modern-day Judaism. I'm going to say that again, because it cuts right across our culture. The real Moses that is introduced in the book of Exodus and wrote the Pentateuch and gave you these marvelous laws, the real Moses, when you study him, the writer of Hebrews is saying he will lead you right to Jesus. And so I want you to really think about that. The message of Moses doesn't lead to obeying rabbinic Judaism. It doesn't lead you to studying Haggadah, which is the Hebrew outpouring of the application of the Jewish laws. It doesn't lead you to start burning Pesach or Passover candles. The real Moses causes you to realize all those things were a shadow. Now the Son of God has come. You don't need the shadow anymore. You don't need the sacrifices. You don't need temples. You don't need veils. You don't need um, special food. This is really radical because there's a part of you that hungers for those things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying the real Moses points you to the son. Moses was faithful. And I want to get something across to you. I love Moses. I've spent much of my life studying Moses' writings. He's one of my dearest prophets. And the reason I love him so much is that Moses plants me right in the lap of Jesus. Amen? I want you to get that. What the writer is saying here is that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. 
But he says, don't depend upon Moses. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the one over the one that serves in the house. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over the house. Why do I trust in Jesus as my password to heaven? The reason I trust in Jesus as my password to heaven is Moses was given a copy of the heavenly sanctuary and he built it just where the Lord told him, but it was only a copy. Moses was a prophet who served as one of the slaves and Jesus is the son of God who owns the house. And that's why he's greater. The final greater one that the book of Hebrews talks about is through the rest of the book, he talks about the Levitical priesthood. He says, Jesus is your access code because he's greater than angels. He's the son of God. He's greater than Moses because he's not just a prophet. He's the son of God. He also says he's greater than all the first century Jewish priests. And he starts talking about the immediate temptation that the that the readers were involved in and that was to start going back to jerusalem stop leaving the sacrifices would provide for him what the writer does is show you that the old testament itself predicted that there would come a time when the mosaic covenant needed to be put aside and the writer of hebrews uses jeremiah chapter 31 jeremiah predicted that god would create a new covenant a new covenant, better than Mount Sinai. And what the writer of Hebrews argues is, and he argues from the Day of Atonement, every single year the priest on the Day of Atonement had to go in to the Holy of Holies. And he came with the blood of a heifer, a blood of a, of a sacrificial animal, and he anointed the, the holy place, the mercy seat. And, and when he put the blood in the mercy seat, he covered the Ten Commandments, and from the presence of God, and through the blood of that sacrificial animal, God covered the sins of Israel for another year. And every year the people pray that the high priest would make it out. And this is what Hebrews 9 especially, 9 through, through 10, focuses on. He's saying, Jesus, on the day of his crucifixion, Jesus did the real ceremony. Now get this, this is what the writer of Hebrews is claiming. Jesus, when he hung on Calvary, he was the total fulfillment of all the sacrifices, all the religious ceremonies, all the animals that have been slain, all the blood that had been spilt, all the blood that on the Day of Atonement was put on the mercy seat. What the writer of Hebrews says, when Jesus was crucified in the spiritual realm, Jesus took his own blood and he went into God's presence. Jesus didn't descend into hell to do battle with the evil one. Jesus conquered the devil on Calvary. Jesus went into the presence of his daddy in heaven, his father in heaven. And he anointed the real heavenly sanctuary. He covered the moral commands of God. And he ended any justice that was called out to condemn you because you broke that law because Jesus totally fulfilled that law. And he, by his blood, when he died, he totally 
paid the penalty that our sin demanded. He was the final once for all sacrifice. And the veil of the temple into heaven, the earthly temple was rent because now the doorways into heaven were opened. You have access to God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this. When you're reading Hebrews 6, if you've tasted that, if you've received that heavenly gift, if you've trusted in your son, if you walk away from that, you can't be restored to repentance. He's not talking about losing your salvation. What he's saying is, if you walk away from Jesus, there's no other way to get into heaven because that's the only way. If you walk away from the cross, if you walk away from the resurrection, if you walk away from the finished work of Jesus, there's no other place to go. That's what he means by that you can't come back. Because you can't turn away from the only access in the heaven and get there any other way. When I turn away from Jesus, I'm lost. And the writer of Hebrews is not saying that you as a person can't come to Jesus and you can't trust in Jesus. But what he's saying is if you're like Judas, for example, if you're like Judas and you walk with Jesus and you are able to do miracles for Jesus and you learn about Jesus, but when it comes to the cross, you turn away from Jesus, he says you're going to be lost and Judas was lost. That's what he's talking about. The writer of Hebrews is about the ultimate questions of life. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, angels can't do it. Moses can't do it. The religion of Judaism and even the Old Testament priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, cannot do it. Only Jesus can. And that's why the writer of Hebrews closes the book in Hebrews 11 by saying, Here's all these men and women of faith, starting way back in the Garden of Eden, coming all the way up into the first century. And if the writer of Hebrews was speaking to you today, which I think through the Spirit he is today, he's saying join with millions of other believers who have put their faith in Jesus. They believe that Jesus can give them access to the heavenly city. One other idea that I'll share with you. How many of you feel that you need a rest? Anybody feel the need a rest? Already in the new year, you need a rest. And this is how his story fits together. When God finished the work of creation on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. God has been resting in his finished creative work. And what the writer of Hebrews says is that he wants you to join him in that rest. And what he says is, don't harden your heart, lest you be like the wilderness generation that hardened their heart. So they didn't get to enter into the rest because they let go of God's promise. And the big message of the book of Hebrews is, don't let go of your trust and your faith in the only person that gives you an access into heaven. He says, don't let go of that. And the writer of Hebrews says, I'm persuaded good things of you. I don't believe that you will. 
I believe that you're not going to be like Judas. I believe you're going to be like those who live their life responding to the Holy Spirit and believing in the exclusive claims about Jesus because he's God's son, greater than an angel. He's a prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses, much greater than the Aaronic priesthood. He's the one that made access into the throne room of heaven that will last forever and ever and ever. As you're talking to people, the Lord wants you to get into conversations with people about this great high priest. In the book of Philemon, which is the other book that you studied this week, the Apostle Paul is telling Philemon, in light of who Jesus is in your life and what he's done in your life, your runaway slave that under Roman law, you have the right to whip him or even take his life, Paul says instead, you need to receive him into your house as a son. In other words, the book of Philemon is saying, if we have access into heaven through the Son of God, then we've tasted the heavenly unity and the heavenly communion today. And the way that we know that we've tasted that heavenly community is because of the way that we treat slaves that run away. And they no longer become slaves, they become our brothers. The great tragedy of the Christian church is that for hundreds of years, the Christian church didn't accept Paul's message. So even within our circles, like within the American culture, we have treated as believers sometimes people as lesser than us, not as brothers, but as people that we don't have responsibility to or people we can exploit. And the message of the New Testament is, no, you can't. Red and yellow, black and white. Everybody that a believer in Jesus meets from Midlothian Bible Church in 2007, they are potential anesthetists that can become our brother and sister. Everybody that we meet at work, everybody that we meet in our vocation, everybody that we meet at school, we never treat someone as an other we see them as a potential brother and sister. Is this real? Yeah. Mary's mom is at our house right now because she's getting older. And we've got to take care of her. And some of you are going to have to help us. But it's okay because mom has easy access no matter what happens If her body fails, Jesus will never fail. And this is very real. It means Mary doesn't have to be a daughter that says, I don't want to look at my older mom because that's where I'm headed. I'm being really honest with you. Your culture runs away from age because we're afraid. We don't want to face the fact that you're going to end up there. Because of my access to heaven, I don't have to run away from aging. I don't have to run away from people that need me. I don't have to feel that somehow I can keep the grim reaper away from me if I can just live with young people and all that. That's a lie. It's what enables to help people that have special needs kids. This is where the rubber meets the road. It helps us to go with people in crisis 
Because we never get a sign in Jesus, access denied. Because we always know that our name is written in Jesus' heart. My being rests with him. And so as you leave this week now, you go out into the world really clear. One way, one way, one way. And you can explain it to somebody that you're not being bigoted. You're being incredibly, infinitely loving because Jesus is the password. And so what I'm totally committed to, I never have gotten in to my American Express account. But years ago, when Norm Sanju was the head of the Mavericks, I went to several games every year, and I walked into Maverick Stadium, Reunion Arena. I walked in the door. They treated me like a king. I walked right downstairs. Tony Dorsett walked right next to me several times. I sat right next to Norm Sanju, right on the center court, And I haven't been able to do that since. In fact, now I can barely get tickets unless some of you are gracious. So get the hint. No, I'm only kidding. (laughs) Why? I had access because I knew the owner. And I knew the general manager. That's true. Now I don't. And my access is over. I am so thankful that my Savior Jesus never gets fired, never dies, never retires, and I have access not to Maverick games, but, man, I have access to the throne room of heaven. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter. Box 580, Midlothian, Texas 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1 888 668 7884.